Welcome to the Spiritual Life Management Podcast, where we help you bring balance in your life and live to your fullest potential with your host, Gretchen Smith. I'm very excited to welcome our special guest for today's episode, Roz McMaster. Roz is a wisdom blogger, transformational spiritual counselor, podcast host and guest, psychic medium, and an author of her beautiful book, From Shadows to Light, it's a self-help memoir. She shares her journey to find emotional and spiritual peace through betrayal, grief, and loss, a story of triumph over tragedy that will inspire you to move from blame to accountability, from victim to victorious. Welcome, Roz. Thank you for having me, Gretchen. It's so wonderful to be here. It is so wonderful to have you on the show, and I am so moved and inspired by your personal story, your personal journey, and I want to thank you for your precious time today and the vulnerability to share your story with us. You're welcome. And it's funny when you speak of that, I'm, I'm actually excited about my story. I think probably because of the healing that I've done, the extensive healing I've done and my spiritual beliefs. When I talk about all the adversity I experienced, I get so excited about it because it, you know, adversity is an opportunity for us to grow and to become the best versions of ourselves uh, and to experience this kind of joy as long as you make the choice and you have the desire to learn from the past. I completely agree with you. I think if any of us have a difficult story or a difficult journey, it's almost our duty to share that, to inspire others, to give them something to move forward towards and to just pave the way, if you will. So that's really why I'm so excited to have you here too. So would you mind giving the listeners just a bit of a backstory about your journey so they have a little bit of an idea what we're talking about here? Okay, well, my journey, I guess it started, well, when I was born. (laughs) I'm I'm 60 now, so we've got 60 years of life experiences, which are all important because, you know, your childhood experience is what shapes the adult that you become and the choices you end up making as an adult and what you attract to yourself. But I had, I left home when I was 16. I had a a wonderful life of traveling internationally and working overseas and um, ended up in lower management jobs. And I didn't meet and marry until I was 27. And I thought I had married the man of my dreams, as we often do, but I ended up for 30 years married to a man who had a terrible fear of intimacy, a deep-rooted fear of intimacy, and which holds uh, a lot of characteristics of a narcissistic personality. He wasn't violent, but he was emotionally quite abusive. So 30 years later, I received a text message from him to say he wasn't in love with me anymore. So that's okay. You know, a lot of marriages fall out of the in love stage and then they move into a different phase of their life. But when he sent me the text message, it made me realize finally that my life was never going to change and that he was never going to change. And Mm -hmm. so I made the decision to walk away from the marriage. I finally had enough courage to believe that I was worthy of something better and that I deserved something better. 
A year after we separated, I was diagnosed with stage four bowel cancer and the prognosis was two to three years. But there was something about being given that prognosis. I, I just knew it wasn't my time. There's, uh, do you remember the movie Angels with Meg Ryan and Nicolas Cage? Yes. Yeah, so Meg Ryan was playing a surgeon and I remember she was asked at one stage, you know, why she worked so hard to save lives. And she said, you know, we work hard to save lives, but sometimes I wonder, uh, we fight hard to save a life, but sometimes I wonder who we're fighting with. So I just knew that, you know, there was a bigger plan for me. Spiritually, I believe that our destinies are already set for us um, before we incarnate into this world. And we don't spend one minute longer here than what we are meant to. So uh, I just knew it wasn't my time. But I, I went through the surgery. I went through chemo had six months of chemo. Then in 2017, just as soon as chemo finished, I spent a month in India at an Ayurvedic detox hospital to detox from the chemotherapy. Right. When I came back, a couple of months after I returned from India, my husband, ex, well, ex-husband, we were still only separated, he phoned me to say he'd just had a scan and it looked like he had lung cancer. So by the time that was fully diagnosed, uh, he did have cancer. It was already well advanced and he passed away five weeks after his diagnosis. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So I nursed him, uh, well, stayed with with him by his side for that whole five weeks and the two weeks that he was in hospital and Till the time that he passed. And then my cancer returned. Um, I tried to sort of keep stress out of my life because I believe stress is very much, you know, a part of disease. And I also believe that the reason I had developed the bowel cancer was because of 30 years of holding on to toxic anger toxic anger and you know it's not for everybody I don't want you know listeners writing into you saying oh you know I didn't cause my own cancer everybody is different your journey is different but I believe that's what created my cancer Mm -hmm. so the fact that I am surprising doctors they're shaking their heads they don't know how I'm still here like I was given two to three years and it's already five and a half years at this point so the doctors are saying, well, we don't know what's going on. And secretly I'm thinking, well, I know what's going on. The deep levels of healing I did around all the toxic emotions that I was carrying, because any time you're angry or, you know, something terrible happens in your life, you carry that memory at a cellular level. Right. And so it's working its way through your body and it's playing all sorts of havoc. So when you heal and when you heal deeply, you're healing yourself at a cellular level. So, um, yeah, so that was my journey. But I I believe that adversity is an opportunity for us to grow and learn something about ourselves and develop uh, as a person and to step fully into the empowered person we're meant to be. So even though along the way, each one of those challenges I faced, they had their own set of emotions attached to it. But when I allowed myself to experience whatever emotion I was feeling, 
then I got that out of the way and I stood back and I went, right, what am I going to learn from this now? How can I make this a positive in my life? That's just incredible. So much to unpack here. I have so many questions for you. First of all, I want to commend you for sticking by your ex-husband at the time. And a lot of people are probably asking why or how, and can you just shed a little bit of life on to what that experience was like for you and the choices that you made there? Caring for him after he was diagnosed? Yes. Yeah. I think, as I said earlier, It was important to understand that I didn't leave my marriage because I hated him. Mm -hmm. I left because I finally realized that I deserved more. And I had the courage to believe that I was worthy of something better. So now I was willing to take a risk on myself and no longer allow fear to rule my life. I, I once read that courage and bravery are not the absence of fear, but our conquering of it. And I I love that expression. But When I left, I knew that if I didn't look very deeply at the role that I played in the unhappiness that I experienced during my marriage, then I would continue to attract the same unhappiness, the same dysfunctional relationships. And so I went on that healing journey. And that's what moved me from blame to accountability and from feeling like a victim to feeling like uh, I was victorious. But when I turned the focus on myself and took responsibility for the choices I made, I stopped blaming him and I was able then to feel great compassion towards him. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, that, that's a really important point. And, and that's, you know, the whole issue with forgiveness. I still had a great deal of forgiveness to do, but... Mm-hmm taking accountability for the role I played went a long way to towards that forgiveness. And I think that's the thing that needs to be clarified about forgiveness too. Sometimes, you know, we might be saying, oh, I can't forgive them until they say sorry. Well, no amount of someone saying sorry is going to help you forgive them. Sorry right. validates validates the experience you had with that person. Hearing sorry says I understand the hurt mattered. The hurt mattered. What they did mattered. So it validates your experience. But the experience you had left a mark on you. And you're the one that has to heal whatever was done, whatever damage was left. So uh, say part of my husband's fear of intimacy led him to a sexual addiction. So he would hire, um, you know, rent hotel rooms and higher high high priced uh call girls Mm -hmm. so you know that really damaged my sense of self as a woman had issues about how I looked you know I was actually you know quite well still am I won't say I was (laughs) (laughs) I you know in my own mind you know I I had a, a good figure I was fit and healthy I always looked after myself um you know I was blonde and tanned and all those things that um you know I thought were important, right? But it it did damage who I who I believed I I was as a woman. And then there was all the issues of me feeling neglected all the time, and you know I lost myself during that thirty years because I was always trying to make him happy. So I kept changing myself to find the right ingredient that would make him happy and make him love me more. So even if he'd said sorry, 
I still would have had all those issues that I'd created over 30 years. I still had to heal that. Right. So that I so that I didn't take that me out into the world again and keep creating the drama. Is yes. that making sense? It makes so much sense. And this happens in so many lives. And it's just, I, I'm sure there's so many people out there right now that are listening that can resonate with the situation. I know I can. So I'm curious, what took place when you went on your healing journey that really helped you recognize and turn the blame to something more forgiving? I guess it helps that I had the counseling background. So, you know, for the purpose of my book, I analyzed his background too, so that I could understand where he came from. Uh, because his behavior, it wasn't really about me. It affected me, but it wasn't about me. His behavior right. was driven by the pain that he was in and the childhood that he'd had. Uh, you know, he was he spent some time in an orphanage when he was young because his mother had tuberculosis and his father had to work really hard and couldn't take care of the five young children who hadn't even started school yet. So he spent nearly two years in a Red Cross shelter. Um, Red Cross is an orphanage over here. Uh, and then a year after, well, a couple of years after they all re reunited as a family, his father died. And so, you know, the family was sent into turmoil again. And I think while he was in that orphanage, he was sexually abused as well. So that affected him and his ability to relate in uh, an intimate setting. Sure, sure. Yes. And a lot of people don't realize that it's not about... Uh, for instance, you and your situation, it's its not what you're doing or how you're acting or how you're showing up or looking. It really truly is about him and what he's gone through and what he's uh, putting on you as a result. Yes, exactly. And the reason, you know, what, what we had were ma matching pathologies is what they call it in psychology terms. No one can hurt you unless you already believe that about yourself. And that's the wonderful thing about relationships is whatever insecurities you're carrying from your past, your partner will trigger that and show you the parts of yourself that need healing. So that's so true. Yeah. Even though I felt like, you know, he was emotionally uh, unavailable, I, I already had a fear of abandonment that came from my childhood. Even though mm -hmm. I felt like, you know, we had a, a marriage where I couldn't speak my truth, I couldn't speak up. If I complained about anything uh, in some way, I would be punished for complaining. So I learned to shut up. Uh, I learned to um, don't speak my truth, don't rock the boat. And that was very difficult for me, not being able to speak my truth. But when I analysed it, when I went back to do all the healing, that already started in me from childhood because I had a mother as loving and wonderful as she was. She didn't like being challenged in any way. So if you said something that upset my mother, it would make her angry. So I was a very sensitive, quiet child and I didn't like you know, when anger came at me. So as a child, I was already setting in motion that belief that it wasn't safe to speak up. It wasn't safe to speak my truth. And that came from schooling as well. I went to a Catholic school and I remember during religious instructions one day, 
I said to the teacher, well, if God created everything, who created God? You know, I had this image in my head that it was an actual physical being sitting up there on top of the cloud. So so I wanted to know, well, you know, teachers could physically um, hit children back in those days. I don't know how old you are, if you bypassed that era. But um, for asking that question, she punched me in the back of the head. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So again, I learned to uh, not speak my truth. It wasn't safe to speak my truth. So when that happened in my marriage, I was angry that he made me feel that way, but that already existed within me. So coming to an understanding that he was just showing me the unhealed parts of myself that also moved towards me moving out of blame and taking accountability. So when I went right back and, you know, discovered all these things about myself, then I had a starting point for letting go of that um, old conditioning, you know, that voice in my head that was always telling me I wasn't good enough, you know, becoming the internal parent. And once again, when we're talking about blame to accountability, when I went back to see where it all started in my childhood, it wasn't about then blaming my parents because Mm -hmm. parents, you know, parents don't come with a golden star. They're humans. They're making mistakes just as we've made with our children. Um, You know, they're bringing their wounds from their childhood. They're raising you according to the norms of society at that moment, their religious and cultural beliefs. Uh, You know, there's all sorts of um, reasons why parents parent the way they do. And, you know, again, I'm not talking about someone who's been, you know, really physically and sexually abused. There's some, you know, just terrible abuse that's going on there. But whether your abuse is very severe or very mild, it still leaves the same impact on all of us and the same healing that needs to be done. It just might be deeper levels of healing that you need to um, do around something that's happened in your past. But literally, the healing for me was about going back into childhood, looking at all the triggers and things that I'd felt during my marriage and understanding their origins and literally moving out of that blame. But I I did a lot of journal writing. I already had a practice of gratitude, which held me in good stead right across my life, no matter what happens. I love gratitude. And I am sorry to cut you off here, but I would love for you to share a little bit about your gratitude journaling and experience with gratitude. I first started a daily gratitude back in... I went to a Buddhist um, workshop on death and dying and they spoke about gratitude then. And I'd Mm -hmm. already started it before that, actually. So we're we're going back to around 2006. I remember one year at the start of the year, I like to, you know, set my intentions for the year. And I just felt really inspired to write letters of gratitude. So handwritten on fool's cap paper, There's something, you know, just beautiful about writing a handwritten letter and mailing a handwritten letter. Can can you imagine the days when you receive something that's handwritten? I know. So so I wrote 20 letters to family, to in-laws, to colleagues, expressing, you know, love, gratitude, forgiveness, 
um, sorry if I needed to say sorry, but I, I thanked people for the role that they'd played in my life, uh, for believing in me sometimes when I hadn't believed in myself. You know, they weren't generic. I made it very personal to each person I'd written to. And, you know, I didn't expect anything in return. It was just something I felt like doing. And as I went to the post office to put these into the the post box, I was on such a high. It felt so good to have expressed all that love and gratitude. But there was a re, um, there was something that I got back from it. People started calling me straight away and telling me how, you know, they might have been feeling down and suddenly they felt great about themselves again because people feel good about knowing they've touched someone's life in a positive way. People were telling me they still keep their letter even today so that when they're feeling down, they read it and they're reminded again that, you know, they matter and they've made a difference. Uh, the hardest one to write was to my mother. And that's the most important one to write because no matter how bad you think things are, there's always something you can be grateful for. And, you know, I left home at 16, which was, you know, very devastating for a parent, but, you know, mm. I had things I needed to achieve and I went off and achieved them. So, <laughs> uh, so I wrote that letter and, you know, I just really thanked her for keeping the door open unconditionally so that I would find my way back home and know that she was waiting there with open arms. So that was my gratitude letters. And then a couple of years later, I put up a Facebook post that I was going to start a gratitude jar. And my daughter rang me and she said, Mum, I've got a gift for you. I'm coming over. So she came over and she said, I read your post and I've bought you this jar to start your gratitude jar. And it was a beautiful jar with its lovely shimmering purple lid on it. But it was the size of a you know, a, a jam jar. <laughs> it was really uh -huh. tiny. And I said to her, oh, that's really lovely. Thank you so much. I was so grateful that, you know, she'd done something so thoughtful. And I said, but I've bought you a jar so you can start the journey as well. And I had a jar that was the size of a laundry hamper. It was absolutely <laughs> enormous. And she cried. She said, mum, I couldn't fill that little jar. How am I going to fill, fill the big one? And that's, the issue with gratitude too. People think, what have I got to be grateful for? How can I be grateful? But you know, it's not always about feeling grateful for something that you're getting. It's, yes. you know, gratitude for everything around you in life. And when you start the gratitude journey, you really have to work at it. You have to really look, you have to look. So on a rainy day, I wouldn't just say, oh, I love it when it's raining because I enjoy hearing the sound of the rain. I took it a step further. I enjoy the rain because it stops me from going out when I really need to spend time sitting and getting grounded. So nice. not just what I'm grateful for, but why I'm grateful for it, because that adds that extra dimension. I went out, my son had a job parking golf buggies at the local golf club. And one day it was pouring with rain. He said, mum, can you come and help me do it, please? There was hundreds of golf buggies and he wanted to get it done. So we went and we got drenched 
and we laughed and laughed and laughed. So instead of being annoyed that, you know, he asked me to help and I got really wet, I was so grateful to have that opportunity to spend a moment with my son where we laughed together. And, you know, laughing and getting wet, it took me back to childhood where you just, you did things like that with just such such abandon. So, you know, I, I, grateful for when I go for a walk because I purposely set about looking for things to be grateful for suddenly my mind had become so sharp and my heart had become so open I saw beauty all around me that I hadn't noticed before because we walk around so unconsciously with our head down and we're in our phones and you know we're worrying about what's happening tomorrow and next year and next week we're not present so practicing gratitude makes you so present because you're consciously thinking what can I be grateful for in this moment and you know small things big things. There's so much to be grateful for. And I swear it changes you at a cellular level. When I started practicing gratitude, when I got cancer, when I went Mm -hmm. through chemo, when I separated from my husband and had to start looking for a house, you know, I had, you know, lots of fear initially around all those things, but my life felt so full. It literally felt full. nothing could knock me off my perch of just feeling like I had so much abundance in my life. And that was from the practice of gratitude every day. I just think that's so beautiful. And I'm so happy that you were able to share that message with the listeners today. I know personally as well that gratitude has, has changed my life and it's a big part of my life. If we can convey a message of just how important that is, and turn around someone else's life. I mean, that would just be absolutely incredible. So I know gratitude really helped get you through this really difficult time and helped you forgive and you were able to care for your ex-husband at the time. But then you had further to go on your journey. Is that correct? With the forgiveness, yeah, I definitely did. So, you know, it's a process and I think I had... Um, started to say before when we, you know, want someone to say sorry, that's only sort of part of the journey. Forgiveness really isn't about the other person. Forgiveness is a gift that you give to yourself. Forgiveness stops you from being held captive emotionally by what happened in the past and the wrong that you feel was done to you. So it's a gift that you give to yourself. And when I went on that healing journey and started taking responsibility for the role I'd played, forgiveness, in a sense, became, you know, obsolete. I kind of, you know, I've reached a point now in my life, probably because of the extra things I did, which I'll talk about now. It just became irrelevant. I just didn't need to forgive anymore. Uh, and mm-hmm. I, I can look back now and, and just think nothing um, except gratitude for that time that we spent together. But after he died, uh, after he passed away, I remember my daughter asking me, Mum, you know, do you miss him? Are you sad that he's gone? And I didn't miss him the way a, a wife might miss her husband because we were separated and there was a reason we were separated. Right. But um, you know, I 
I thought of him as, you know, or us as just two souls that took a significant journey together. And, you know, I was at a place, as I said, of feeling gratitude for the growth that had taken place because of the life that we'd had together. But forgiveness still eluded me. The anger around the forgiveness still eluded me. So soon after he passed, spirit, I'd been putting out the spirit, you know, I I need your help with this, you know, help me find my way through this. You know, my life was just really taking off. I was so happy. Things were really happening for me. And the inability to really move into that forgiveness was stopping a natural flow of my heart opening. And so I really desperately wanted to move into that space. So lo and behold, in Sydney, I heard about a Brandon Bays retreat called The Journey. Have you heard of Brandon Bays? I have not. No, I'll have to look into it. Yeah, Brandon Bays is American and she wrote, many years ago, she wrote a book called The Journey. And I actually used to use the journey process uh, in the regression work that I was doing with clients, but I'd never actually experienced the journey myself. So I went down to New South Wales to take part in this journey retreat and Brandon Bates herself hadn't been to Australia for many years. She was sort of leaving the retreat to people who she had trained, but she came out for this particular retreat. So one of the processes was uh, a process called the empty chair. And I never used to like using the empty chair with my clients because it was something I didn't like myself. And I didn't like it myself because even though I was a counsellor, I was still very afraid of my own vulnerability and uh, exposing my own emotions. So I did this empty chair. I didn't even question it. I just sat there and I moved into it. So you sit on a chair and you imagine that the person that you have an issue with is sitting in the chair opposite you and you begin a dialogue with that person. So I started off by saying, I hate you. I hate what you did to me. I hate how you treated me. I hate how you made me feel. And at first I was a little bit shy, but as I kept going, I got louder and louder and all my inhibitions and my fear dropped away. The tears were streaming down my face and I was yelling. I mean, it was a room full of people who were yelling, so I didn't feel alone. (laughs) So that's the nature of those retreats. Uh, Roz, I have to say, I have actually been through an experience similar to this, except I was on a, a wire cable with someone right in front of me on a wild wire cable, we had to hold each other up and we had to basically do this exercise walking across it. And I don't think that I knew I had the power to scream as much as I was screaming. Oh, my I had God. some stuff to let go. <laughs> that is horrendous. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you were doing it on a wire. Trust me, the chair is a lot safer. <laughs> Oh my God. It may be safer, but nonetheless, I mean, the same result. I really didn't know I had stuff pent up in me that I had to let out. It's so cathartic. 
it is it is and that's the thing what what you resist will persist and i think when you're hanging on to unexpressed anger or emotion uh hanging on to anything negative any kind it's like you're going around on this huge circle with a bag full of rocks on your back and they just get heavier and heavier and heavier and you can't you can't move and you're just never going to get to the other side when you go straight through the middle of it yes that bag of rocks just comes off and my gosh don't you feel good now even though I was expressing I hate what you did to me that sounds like blame I understand that there's a little bit of a you know what's going on here she said don't blame other people but thing is that's a human emotion that's how I felt and that had to be expressed and once you express it then you can move into that space of love you know and that's part of self-love and self-care when you give the unhealed parts of you a voice you let them be heard you lovingly don't judge it or censor it and, and then it's heard, you know, it's like anyone, even a child, you know, if a child comes home from school upset, you can't say to the child, oh, don't worry about it, just move on. Tell me what happened today. How did that make you feel? And as soon as they've been able to freely talk about it, they go about their day, they're happy again. You know, you, you need to be able to express it. And I didn't have that voice during my marriage or during my childhood. Uh, and now I was expressing it. And my gosh, that was it. Just this weight lifted and I was able to move on. It, it literally just moved me on. Yes. Oh, that's amazing. And yeah. it's so healing. It is so healing. So, I mean, these are the sort of things you can do yourself. I I used to love journal writing and journal writing takes those thoughts out of your head, uh, which is very helpful because we do a lot of negative self-talk and it goes around and around and around and around in our heads and doesn't serve any purpose. So, you know, journaling helps you express your thoughts and feelings in a safe form. Through journaling, it can be an avenue to begin to know what you need to heal. Uh, It helps you to express and let go of anger and grief. It makes conscious what is unconscious. And through journaling, you're free to express your true feelings without censorship and without judgment. But if you go to a retreat or you go to a counsellor who specialises or any sort of spiritual healer, there's many now that help with these sort of things, where you can really speak those words, go to the top of a mountain even if you need to by yourself. But I think it's always good to do it in an environment where somebody is going to be there to support you. Journaling something you do on your own, this next level, like what you and I have experienced, that's something that needs to be done with somebody else. Yes, I would completely agree about that. Yes, that is for sure. And so, and that allowed you to be able to let go a lot of, of a lot of your pain and uh, frustration and forgiveness. Well, it allowed the forgiveness to come to the surface, and which then you succumb to healing. You're able to finally heal or go through the grief process. Can you tell me a little bit about going through the grief process? Well, I still didn't necessarily grieve for him. Um, If I'm completely honest, I was actually uh, 
a little bit relieved that the push-pull of our relationship had ended, uh, even though we'd been separated for, what, um, two and a half years. You know, I still had a lot of contact with him and we were still playing a lot of games with each other. So um, that had come to an end and really sitting by his side and supporting him it was a real lesson for me in unconditional love. There was nothing more he could give to me, nothing more I wanted from him. And I just sat there, you know, lovingly. He was very afraid while he was in those final weeks. It was happening so fast. And he had an oxygen mask that he did not let go of the whole time he was there. And so when I would enter the room, hospital room in the morning, I would lift the mask and kiss him gently on the lips. And that grounded him and made him feel calm and brought him down. And I just felt so good within myself that I was able to give that love and support to him unconditionally without the want of anything in return. And I, you know, the other thing is too, we had three children. They were between the ages of, I think, what were they then, 19 and 25 or, you know, around that around that age. So, you know, still quite young to be mm-hmm. losing their father. And for whatever was happening in our marriage as a couple, we were a strong family unit and he was a very good father. So I needed to be there for him, for my children, so that I could help them with their grief. And that was really important to me because, uh, as I said earlier, my husband was 10 when his father passed away and he never got to grieve his father. And in those days, children weren't even allowed to go to funerals. So his father's had a heart attack. So one minute he's there, the next minute he's gone. There was five children. There wasn't time for grieving. Everybody just had to get on with it. So you couldn't even say his father's name without him emotionally just breaking down. It was so traumatic. And so we never talked about his father. And when Andrew passed, my children now were afraid that they were going to grieve the same way and they were in fear of that. But that's never happened because I was able to be present for them and help them to grieve. So as far as grieving, I I think I did the grieving when our marriage broke down because even though I made the choice to leave, what I grieved was the loss of my dreams and my hopes for the future. You know, there's another saying that I love, which is, You have to let go of the life you thought you wanted in order to have the life you deserve. So I, you know, I had this fairy tale view my whole life of what this beautiful partnership would look like. And so I bent over backwards trying to make my life fit that. And I was in this constant battle because it was just never going to look like the fairy tale I'd created. So I had to grieve the fact that you know, I'd lost the fairy tale and that I was going to be starting again. So I went through the grieving process then, you know, the denial, the anger, the bargaining. And, you know, that final stage that was added to the five stages of grief, which is um, finding meaning, that's also what I did. I found meaning. And, you know, as far as grieving the loss of a loved one, 
finding meaning doesn't mean that, well, what was the purpose of them getting cancer? What was the purpose of them committing suicide? You know, we're not finding meaning in why they passed. Right, We're we're finding meaning in spite of and because of their passing, the fact that you've lost them, you know, whether it be through divorce, separation or through someone passing, the grieving process is still the same. So I found meaning in his passing. Like I say, you know, I focused instead on the blessings that he brought to my life all the things that I'd learnt because of his passing. So, and because I have my spiritual beliefs to fall back on as well. I, I don't have a fear of death myself. I believe that he passed now because this is when he was meant to pass and we were meant to take that journey together. And finding meaning, I've now written a book and am trying to help others to heal. And you don't have to have had the same experience as me, but what led you to make the choices you've made in your life that led to your unhappiness, that's the same for all of us. And the process for healing and dealing with that is the same for all of us. So that was fine. That was the meaning that I found in his passing. So yeah, you, you have a choice. You have a choice. Right. And I think that often we forget that, that we have a choice and that instead of focusing on on the loss, whatever that loss is, whether it's a loved one or losing a home or there's so many different types of loss and grieving. Mm-hmm. But if we focus it on to the blessings, whether we have happy memories in, in a specific home that we've lost or the insight and the love and the lessons that a loved one has left us with, but we have a choice in how we are going to process it and move forward. Yes, absolutely. And and that's the thing. That's the whole feeling like a victim. You're not realizing that you have a choice. It might not be a choice that you like or that you want to make always, but you do right. have a choice. You simply do have a choice. But and, and I think when we were talking earlier, you know, if I can use my children as an example of the grieving process, mm-hmm. you know, they the three of them all dealt with their grief in very, very different ways. But what I tried to do was, you know, right from the start, we created rituals around the grief. So we used to have a creek in our backyard and my husband loved being around this creek. So when he passed, I got them all to write a letter of all the fond memories that they had, uh, what they missed about him, how much they loved him. So they wrote a letter and then we turned that paper into a boat. You know, we made a a paper boat. Mm -hmm. What do they call that? Origami or (laughs) whatever Uh it is. And then we set the boats adrift in the creek. So that was a part of a, a grieving ritual that we did. We talk about him constantly you know, we haven't forgotten that he was part of our life. We still make him a part of our life. Oh, do you remember when dad did this? You know, wouldn't your dad have loved that? So he doesn't become this elephant in the room that we're all avoiding talking about. You know, he's he's still very much a part of their lives because he exists in their heart and in their memories. But one of the things 
you know, they miss the most that they'll never have back again is the sound of his voice. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's really, you you can't remember what they sound like. And we've got a lot of home movies that we love to watch and we can hear him there, but it's, it's such an odd feeling. You don't feel that emotional connection to the voice, even when you're hearing it. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's so hard to explain. But one thing my daughter found very helpful, the intensity of the grief will wane over time, but you will always feel it. You will always feel it. And she found it very helpful when she learned that it will lessen over time and knowing that she will always experience because she thought that she had to keep working towards not feeling any grief at all. And there must be something wrong with her if she's still grieving. So when she, when she found out that the grief will always be there, she was relieved and she could settle into starting to enjoy life again. So one of the things she found most difficult was she felt abandoned by her friends. Nobody seemed to be reaching out to offer her comfort. But I think it's important to remember, and this is even in, you know, if you're grieving separation or divorce, unless someone has gone through that experience of loss themselves, they really don't understand what it's like. And if someone's life is very happy and lots of good things are happening to them, they're not going to be wanting to be around someone who's grieving because they'll feel guilty about sharing the good things that are happening to them. So then they're going to avoid you as well. Or they might be a really supportive friend who starts saying, come on, you've got to start dating again. You've got to get out of bed in the morning. You've got to start enjoying yourself. They'll think they're doing the right thing by you, but you might not be ready yet because there's no real time limit to how how long each stage of the grieving process will take. And you'll just know when you're ready. You'll know when you're ready. And, you know, those stages of grief, they don't come in a particular order. You might have every one of those emotions in one day, the the anger and the bargaining and the denial. Uh, Or you might be in anger for a couple of months and denial for a couple of months. So, yeah, the grieving process, it's, um, it's a big one. It's a big it is one. A big but I, one. yeah, I do recommend that people, again, if you feel like you've got no friends to talk to, that you do find support groups because there's lots of support groups out there and it'll make you feel less alone in your grief because it is a, a very lonely experience. Uh, but I, I believe keep the memory alive. You know, talk about your loved one often. Don't be afraid to talk about them and to talk about the good times. And when you hit rock bottom, when you at your worst in that stage of grief, that's when you make your choice. What do I want for my life now? What meaning do I want my life to have? That That's when that's you choose. Right. That's when you choose. Beautiful. So as a psychic medium, have you had your husband come through? Not to me personally. I've had wonderful readings. I've got such an enormous array of uh, medium friends from all over the world. So I've had some amazing readings from him and he does come through and he does apologize now. 
Uh, and I think, well, you know, it's a bit late, but <laughs> I it's remember, okay. I, I remember when uh, when he was dying, and the doctors came in to me and they said, "Was he a sportsman?" Because he was really hanging on, you know, they were heavily sedating him, and he uh-huh. wasn't he wasn't giving in to to going. And they said, is he a sportsman? Because they often don't give in to dying because they have control issues when they've played a lot of sport. And I said, well, actually, yes, he was a pro golfer and he did have control issues even outside (laughs) of the sporting field. Uh, So I would sit by his bed and... I would say, look, you know, when you get to the other side, you're going to see your father and you can play any golf course you want to play in the world and the colours and the music, it's going to be beautiful. You know, you have our blessing. It's okay to go now. We're going to be okay. And he was still hanging in there. And because he had a sex addiction, I sat then one day and I said, well, look, you know, because you have this, you know, love of other women some religions believe that there's virgins waiting for them on the other side maybe that appeals to you better and he passed away the next day so oh my goodness <laughs> so I I thought that was really funny and I went to visit a friend of mine who was uh, a psychic medium and out of the blue she said to me you know Andrew heard what you said and he didn't like it but he understands <laughs> I thought that was really funny. So, I mean, you you can find the funny side, but he does come through. I remember there was one reader, a medium that we went to, and it was a group reading that I had with the children. I wanted them to experience the whole psychic medium experience Uh Uh, because even though I work that way, of course, they've never seen me work that way. So we were in this group meeting and he came through and he came through as the father they knew so Mm. she had a set of golf clubs sitting next to her and she said oh you know I don't know why I dragged these out of the garage they belonged to my son but I felt I needed to have these golf clubs here with me it was just the most wonderful reading and then I had a subsequent in reading with her just by myself and he came through as the husband that he had been, which was very different to the the wonderful, funny, loving father that he was. And so we had a, a very deep discussion around, you know, his life and he expressed gratitude for, you know, the love and care that I had given him right through our marriage and even in his time of passing. So it, it was wonderful to hear from him in that regard. And uh yeah, it, it was just a wonderful experience. That is so nice. And that is also, I think, a very important part of the healing process. I was just saying on another podcast that I think that when we're able to connect with our loved ones or get a message from people that have crossed over, that that can be very healing. And I talk oh, to my nice. loved ones that have passed all the time, all the yes. time. So that's very healing for me just to know that, hey, they may not physically be here. However, as part of my healing process, I can talk to them and be with them now more than ever. Yes, exactly. That's part of the the rituals that I was talking about earlier where I was saying, you know, they, they still 
are present in your heart and in mm-hmm. your memories. So talk about them often. Don't make them the elephants in the room. I don't know if that's an expression you have over there in the States. Yes, it is. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Don't make them the elephant in the room. Just, yeah, I, I walk around talking to Andrew all the time as well, like, you know, talking to them about what the kids are doing. And, you know, I, I know he'd be very pleased about where I've come in my journey, even though I thought, I, you know, while we were married, I had him up on a pedestal. But I think he actually was afraid of the strength that I had. And that was, you know, his downfall. So he, right. he felt threatened by that. And so now I've been able to step fully into that powerful person that I was meant to be, that I was always afraid to be. So, you know, what what a blessing the life with him has given me because I would not have gone on this journey without having separated, without having the cancer and without his passing because his passing is what finally pushed me into that level of forgiveness that I needed to reach. Right. And now you're also able to focus on healing yourself. Yes. And I I want to make it clear to people too, that it's a journey that you continue to go on throughout your life. So I haven't um, really had another relation. I had a a short-term relationship for a couple of months, but you know, I, I wasn't ready to give up my freedom yet, so it didn't last very long. But relationships, we don't want to avoid relationships because relationships are what trigger, as I started with in this talk, the unhealed parts of you. So you don't really know how much you've grown as a person until you're challenged again. Right. And, you know, and that doesn't mean you have to go out and be in a relationship, but I would recommend that you don't embark on a new love until you really, really know who you are, until you're really strong in your core, until you've established your values, you're strong enough in your self-worth that you can set boundaries around unacceptable behavior so that you don't go into another relationship with a chip on your shoulder so that you're not always looking to be hurt again and guarding Mm -hmm. yourself against it. Um, Yeah, do the work do the work and stay conscious. We have to stay conscious uh, our entire life. Like, you know, I grew up in a family where there was a lot of codependence. So I became codependent in my marriage. And even though I've done all the healing and recognized that and believe I've stopped it, I can easily become codependent with my children and start wanting to rescue them from the bad choices that they might be making. So you have to remain conscious. You know, a lot of people who follow a spiritual path or any kind of path for that matter, you know, they read all the self-help books and they go to workshops and they go to counseling and they say, I have done all this, therefore I am. But you're not, you, you have to be aware every minute of the day of your intention, your behavior, the minute you're feeling unhappy about something, it's because you're not aligning with your values, perhaps. Right. Yeah. So stay conscious always of your behavior, your thoughts, your actions, your intentions. Where are you coming from? Because you're never going to be able to change somebody else's behavior. You can only be responsible for yourself. Blame to accountability. And that was one of the important things I mentioned when I said I didn't 
leave my husband because I hated him. I left because I finally realized I deserved better and I wanted better. So anytime you're unhappy with someone in your life, your sister, your parent, your loved one, your work colleague, don't focus on wanting them to change or wanting them to do something differently. Bring the focus always back to yourself and make a choice. I want a better working relationship with the people around me and this job isn't filling that need. So it's about you. It's about taking responsibility for the choices without relying on somebody else to change. I love that. That's a great, great message. Well, goodness, you have shared so much with us today. And I just want to thank you again for being so raw and so vulnerable and sharing a bit of your story. And I just want to remind the listeners that Roz has actually wrote a memoir with much more information in it. The book is called From Shadows to Light. It's a self-help memoir. And I think you'll find all kinds of wonderful, insightful information within this beautiful book. And Roz, where can people connect with you? Where can they reach out to you if they would like more information? I have a website with a lot of information. Oh, the links to where they can purchase the book. Uh, it's in ebook and hard copy. That's on there as well as where as as well as all the blogs. Uh, I have a counselling service. Thanks to COVID, we're now adept at doing everything online. So I have a lot of clients all over the world. So you can find all the information on my website, and that's at rosmcmaster.com. It's R-O-S-M-C-M-A-S-T-E-R. Everything you need, you'll find on my website. Yes, it's beautiful. Lots of wonderful information on there in the blog area as well. So I urge the listeners to take a look. It's beautiful and uh, inspiring. So thank you so much. Well, thank you, Gretchen. I, I just love the opportunity to to be able to inspire people and let people know there's hope no matter what you, no matter what challenges you're facing there is hope and there is a way through it to the other side to happiness and stepping into your own power well i just can't thank you enough because you are a beautiful example of resilience and just a beautiful light uh, shining upon us all. So thank you so much again for joining me today, Roz, and sharing your beautiful message. Thank you, Gretchen, and thank you, listeners. Thank you again for tuning in to another episode of Spiritual Life Management. I truly enjoyed our guest today, Roz McMaster. If you found this episode to be inspiring, giving yourself hope, or if you know of someone that is having a real challenge with adversity, please share this episode. Additionally, if you would like more information on how to connect with Roz, I will be placing that in the show notes. If you're looking to connect with me, your host, Gretchen Smith, you can reach out to me at GretchenSmithCoaching at gmail.com or you can always connect with me at Instagram at GretchenSmithCoaching. Wishing you a wonderful and magical day.